Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. What's up? This is an unusual day for us to record. We're recording on a Friday, but here we are. Um, how you doing? I feel like I just talked to you. So, I mean, um, like I haven't got you all dressed chips. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised by that in the slightest. I'm not expecting chips from you. <laughs> I, I walked by a guy today with um, a, a small bag of all dress chips, and I thought it's a sign of my sadness. No, no, just it's a sign that I, I need to get them for you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but how are you? That's my question. I'm. I am doing okay. I have been um, here in school. I'm. I'm doing this clinic, uh, a criminal defense clinic where I uh, have a client who I'm representing to, uh, to try to get a compassionate l- release. It's a, someone who has a uh, life sentence for a nonviolent drug offense. Ridiculous. Uh, and I am and filing uh, for compassionate release for that person along with a team of people. And, um, you know, I just, you know, it's it's really interesting work. It's really awful to hear the kinds of things that uh, people who have, uh, you know, these drug offenses go through. And I think that's really relevant for something that's happened in Canada just yesterday, which will be our main topic tonight. Before we mm. get into that, though... Do we have some people to thank? I know it's not been a lot of time, but do we have some people to thank? We do have some people to thank. Uh, and so this week, I'd like to thank Trish, Steve, and J.I. Thank you so much. And I hope that I have managed to get back in touch with everyone that's been in touch with the podcast. Um, if you haven't heard from us, if you've been in touch, uh, just you know, try again. <laughs> just try and try and try. Try again. That'd be great. That'd be great. So, Nora, did you hear? Did you hear about Bill Twenty Two coming out yesterday? It, it's it's a funny thing to be an activist because like your life is often like uh, sectioned off by different bills <laughs> that you might be fighting <laughs> at any period of time, and sometimes those bills. Um, I mean, I, I you know, Bill Twenty One. Uh, it was a big deal and still is a big deal, and so Bill Twenty Two. I know what it is, but why is it on your mind? Why is it such a big deal right now? Well, I mean, it was it was filed yesterday. I mean, gosh, this is a, a criminal mm-hmm. criminal defense uh, or a criminal uh, justice system overhaul filed by the federal liberals. I mean, they promised it. Hmm, when was that? Almost four years ago now. <laughs> and mm, yeah, we're just seeing it now. Curious, curious, curious. What it what it purports to do? I mean, I I think that they wanted it to be this good news story. That's like, you know, they're getting rid of mandatory minimums and uh, decriminalizing. Uh, I shouldn't say decriminalizing drugs because that's not how they're they're portraying it. But I think they want certain communities to understand it as decriminalizing drugs. Um, and you know, great great news story. So, couple things. It's not exactly what's <laughs> happening, but also, why don't we start with the timing of this? Mm. What do you 
think about that, Nora? I think it's a little curious. What do you think? Well, let's see. It's February. It's so close to spring. We can feel it. Um, Bill C7 is taking up a lot of attention. I don't know. Maybe could it have something to do with them wanting to change the channel on another one of their uh, their kind of big promised bills that they are seeing through right now the process? Or I'm not sure. What do you think? I think it might have something to do with that. I think it might have something to do with um, the negative uh, press that the government's been getting on the vaccination plan. And I think it might have something to Ooh, do yeah. with the fact that an, an election is inevitably coming up soon. You know, we're in a minority government situation. The likelihood that the the uh, federal liberals get to um, to govern uh, for the entire term of four years is like next to zero. So the other parties are likely thinking about uh, when is the time to drop the hammer. And so the liberals are trying to, as much as possible, um, get a good news story out. I promise you that that's part of what's happening here. Oh, but I bet it also has to do with, um, is it to like also celebrate Black History Month in the mind of the liberals? I mean, maybe. They certainly do talk <laughs> about black people in their communications. I mean, not Bill Blair, though. He talks about racialized people. He can't say black people. But <laughs> um, they certainly talk about black people, black and indigenous people in their in their um, communications. But the thing that makes me so disgusted about that is it's like, God, you you fucking assholes. This has been an issue for black and uh, indigenous uh, communities your entire term. You could have brought this forward at any point, at any point. And in fact, what would have been a really great time to do it would have been perhaps uh, last year when people were demanding that you do something and you announced a fucking um, uh, loan program for small businesses run by black people. But instead, you waited until now, which I, you know, I just want to put a point on how disgusting that is. What it means is mm -hmm. that this government sees black and indigenous people as pawns and as cover for how they can portray themselves, how they can gloss and put a, put a nice gloss on themselves going into an election. And it's the kind of thing that I find really disgusting about just generally how the Trudeau government carries itself and about Justin Trudeau himself. You know, when we, when the blackface thing happened and people were like, why is this a big issue? This is the reason why it's a big issue because mm. he doesn't actually see us as like real people that he needs to work to, um, you know, to, to represent properly, to have the, the, the proper services for whatever. He literally sees us as like one at, at, at the worst, like playthings, and at the best, a way uh, to, to signal to people who he is. We, we are a tool for him. We're not mm -hmm. uh, a community that deserves um, the, the urgent care uh, that we should have. Yeah, and the proof of that is pretty obvious in these reforms. Um, I'm, I'm sure we'll go through a whole bunch of them over the, the course of the episode, but I want to start with what is not there. And um, 
the, the a lot of what I know about this, I have to uh, give total thanks to Deborah Parks for explaining this to me. Uh, she's a, a law professor out west, and she spoke to me um, as I wrote an article um, in January about the um, consecutive um, multiple periods of parole ineligibility that um, has is now facing a constitutional challenge um, because of the sentencing of Alexandre Sinet, who is the person who who murdered six people at the uh, Islamic Cultural Center in Saint Foy. And so that allowance to have a mandatory minimum sentence for for murder, and in the case of first degree murder, that mandatory minimum sentence is twenty five years. And uh, under Stephen Harper, he made it even more cruel. He, he, he allowed judges to give out multiple sentences of periods of parole ineligibility. And so what that means is that before the Harper reforms in 2011, you would be automatically sentenced to 25 years in jail if you were found guilty of first-degree murder. Um, and that was actually a, a, like quite a lot. That stands out as being quite harsh in uh, in comparative legal regimes around the world. And uh, anyway, so twenty five years was the was the minimum. And then Stephen Harper allowed judges to give multiple sentences of period of parole ineligibility. So rather than just twenty five years, a judge can now sentence um, fifty years, seventy five years. Uh, they theoretically could ju- uh, sentence one hundred and fifty years. And so some Crown prosecutors have been have been actually seeking uh, sentences of 150 years. Now, it was that logic that caused a panel of three judges in Quebec to say that that they were concerned with the constitutionality of this law. And because of that decision um, in Quebec, it's now not constitutional to give out a sentence that's longer than 25 years. But in the rest of Canada, it's still allowed. And if you look from, from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, the jurisdiction that gives out the highest numbers of multiple periods of, 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 consecu- of consecutive ineligibility for parole is Alberta, whereas uh, British Columbia was, was giving these sentences out the least. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of questions that could be posed, like what's the difference and what was the difference in those cases? And is it just a cultural difference between the judges or was there a material difference within the sentencing? But regardless, um, that, was the, that was probably the most harsh um, a decision that the Harper government made, and it is really disappointing, although not at all surprising to see that of this long promised suite of, of legal reforms, and, and, you know, this was part actually of how Trudeau got elected for the first time in 2015, promising to deal with this stuff, uh, that this issue is sadly not at all addressed, and they've actually just maintained what the Harper era laws have changed to be. Hmm. Curious, <laughs> but also just par for the course with this government. They have done so little to change a lot of what the of the draconian measures that the Harper government has put through. Now, when you do hear about this bill in the news, you will hear that this bill gets rid of mandatory minimums. Mm. And that's not entirely correct. It does get rid of a lot of them, though, uh, for for drug offenses. And that's a good thing. That is a good thing. It's, you know, the, to to require, especially for like, I mean, first of all, you know, fuck, fuck the incarceration system altogether, right? Like this is, you know, we're not uh, carceral. Um, this is not a carceral podcast, a carceral supporting <laughs> co- podcast. If you were looking for that, 
I don't know. Yeah, Find yeah, another one. I don't, <laughs> I don't know where to tell you to go. I don't listen to those. I don't know. New York um, Times or something. Maybe yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but look, like uh, you, you know, mandatory minimums are are a terrible uh, carceral tool and have been used uh, for these drug offenses, which is just like so ridiculous. These you, you know the the idea that someone using or or being involved in um selling uh, uh drugs um which you know in the in the wake of this opioid crisis and you know the 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 way that uh, the marijuana is of common use and so on people are getting mandatory minimum sentences for that it's just uh, a really unnecessary uh draconian measure that ultimately harms people because people uh, uh, attempt to to do what they can to uh, to use these drugs in secrecy in as much secrecy as possible which which endangers people's lives so yeah that's good um, but the 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 bill does not actually get rid of all mandatory minimums for everything and specifically references um, that it's keeping mandatory minimums for gang related activity <laughs> and mm. What does gang related activity mean, Nora? What is that? What is that phrase talking about? Uh, isn't it when Loblaw's company fixes bread prices across the country, and so we're all like like stolen from by our bread suppliers? Oh no, no, no! Sorry, if you thought that gang meant like some sort of organized crime to exploit people. No, no, Nora, that's not what it means. It means black people. I'm just like so confused that you thought that it meant something else. Gang is code. <laughs> Gang is code for black people. Gang is code for racialized people. It is uh, one of those measures that allows the government to justify, um, you know, the police continuing to uh, target uh, harm follow interrogate racialized communities I'm just in, in in ways that they don't to other communities. Yeah, I want to go back to like what a mandatory minimum sentence is because I'm not sure everybody listening is going to appreciate this exactly. And, and I think that um you know the 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 legal reforms that Stephen Harper had put in uh, in 2011 were done to excite uh, a base of people who are, I don't know, like really callous and really uh, love prisons as a way to manage societal issues. And so these minimum, minimum mandatory sentences meant that if you were charged and convicted with, with these uh, several charges that, that Harper had brought in as being required to have a mandatory minimum sentence given to you, that a judge could not look at your life circumstances and say, you know what, um, the punishment for this person really does need to be changed. It's not, it wouldn't be fair to just put them into to, to prison, uh, depending on um, what their what their life circumstances have, have led to. And that principle is uh, the principle of discretion uh, that a judge exercises in delivering a sentence. And that's a really important legal principle. Because sentencing is supposed to take in a lot of different factors. And, and increasingly in Canada, there's awareness around needing to take in uh, factors related to colonization and, and colonial 
um, colonial legacy, colonial practices that are ongoing today. And by handcuffing judges to be able to have that discretion um, and, and not just handcuffing them to not have that discretion, but then to force them to give mandatory minimum sentences, it just threw a lot of people into into prison that might have otherwise not been sentenced to prison. And so, like, it's really important to understand, like, the cruelty behind um, these changes that um, that were just so uh, closely associated with the brand of Stephen Harper. And, you know, yeah, it's curious that the, that the gang moniker is um, is mentioned here. And it makes me think of a situation that just happened in Montreal. And I'm not sure if you've been following. But a couple of weeks ago, um, Montreal police violently arrested Mamadi Kamara, who is uh, a, a PhD student. And he witnessed uh, an assault against a police officer. And he called it in. And he ended up being arrested. He spent six days in jail. And um, he was only released because the Ministry of Transportation camera caught uh, footage of what had happened and completely exonerated him. Now, the mayor of Montreal, Valérie Plante, was very steadfast in her opposition to what the Montreal police had done. The Montreal police refused to acknowledge that systemic racism played a role at all. Um, Mamadi Kamara is black. And uh, they sent, like, intimidating messages to the mayor to, to make sure that she was not going to investigate what um, what happened and all this kind of stuff. And a couple of days later, a young woman was killed in uh, in an act of um, what looked seemingly random violence. Um, and in response, Plant has announced that there's going to be a new gangs division in the Montreal police. And it's just so incredible that this happened within a couple of weeks um, where she was like, you know, very strongly opposed to what the Montreal police had done. They intimidate her. And then she basically turns around and allows them more power based on that kind of moniker of gang violence in the city of Montreal, uh, which, as you say, is so tied to anti-blackness and to, to racial profiling within policing that it's something that I just wanted to mention because I really hope people kind of keep watching uh, what happens there. Um, and so and so, yeah, like the, the, the reproduction of uh, the understanding of gang violence as being um, basically violence committed by black people as if like organized crime in this country is not majority organized by white people um, is something that we definitely need to, to, to keep our eye out. And, you know, Sandy, I wonder how surprised are you to see this language considering someone like Bill Blair is uh, involved in these discussions? Literally not surprised at all. Like this is what this man is known for um, uh, in in Toronto is being like uh, really dr- draconian coming out of the Toronto Police Service, uh, really draconian, um, uh, having these really draconian measures for, uh, you know, what what the Toronto Police Service at the time was was calling uh, gang activity, but really just uh, harmed scores of black communities um in 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 toronto with uh you know this you know tavis type uh is what it's called if you if you want to look it up tavis was a was the moniker for the way that they treated and targeted and harmed uh black communities uh in in toronto now uh you know this 
this this thing that you mentioned, Nora, about uh, discretion in the courtroom, like you would you would think that that'd be really good. But this is like just another one of the ways that the liberal government just goes into something with half measures. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't completely one. They've they've half half asked the mandatory minimums, so they haven't um, actually gotten rid of all mandatory minimums. And, um, you know, they they that ends up we get into this the, to this situation where, you know, judges have a lot of discretion, which you, you would think, OK, maybe that's good because then the judges can take a look at uh, the whole situation of uh, someone who's potentially been convicted and make uh, particular decisions um, that uh, could be progressive. They could also be not progressive because actually what we know is that uh, in the court system, the way that Black and Indigenous people are looked at by sentencing judges are, they're looked at differently. They receive harsher sentences. And so um, mandatory minimums is just one part of the story. There's a whole other part of the story, which is about how uh, uh, discrimination um, uh, operates in the courtroom um, uh, in very similarly to how discrimination anti-blackness, um, anti, uh, you know, uh, indigenousness or the, the effects of colonization impact people on the street with police. There's a, there's a role that the courts play, uh, as well in supporting the incarceration and in supporting the interruption of lives of people, um, uh, uh, with respect to the discretion that they get. The other piece that's like uh, interesting with respect to that, this discretion, is another piece of this bill is allowing more uh, conditional sentences or uh, discretionary sentences. And so this, again, is something else that might sound like a good news story, but may not be. You know, the liberal government is just so adept at (laughs) (laughs) coming up with these measures that are like radically moderate like <laughs> radically <laughs> what, what's the word that I'm looking for like like mundane like nothing like there's no at the end of the day uh if they if they get critique from the right or the left they'll be able to say we did what you wanted <laughs> you know right and it's just so you know radically ridiculous so you know there's this there's this provision in the bill for conditional sentencing which you might think sounds really good and let me explain what that means a conditional sentence is like, hey, Nora, you did something that's against the law. Instead of sending you to jail, let me send you to like to to a rehabilitation center. How, how does that sound? Pretty good, right? Like you're going to get some some treatment and some mandatory counseling. Sounds pretty good, right? Yeah, sounds great. So here's the problem. If if you want that instead of uh, the potential jail time, I need you to actually plead guilty. Still sound great? <laughs> oh my god! Still sound great? Well, hold on. Still sound great? If if I am I guilty? <laughs> no, I, that is knowing people who've had to plead guilty to get lower sentences. Like that is just so horrible. Oh, you know what? Let me just tack on something else, okay? And to be clear, like I don't know exactly how this is going to work in Canada, but I do know that oftentimes Canada is copying the United States, and I know how it works in the United States. So let me just tack on something else. Look, if you miss one of your counseling sessions, you'll go to jail anyway. How's that? <laughs> oh my god. 
because this is conditional sentencing, okay? You you must finish this program. You must finish this counseling program. You must finish this this uh, additional education program, and you must finish this rehabilitation program. If you miss something, we're gonna incarcerate you anyway. How does that sound? Mm, starting to sound bad. <laughs> it's starting to sound bad. Look, <laughs> so so much of conditional sentencing, what it does is it 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 puts people in the eye of the incarceration system anyway, and often ends up with people becoming like a pathway to additional incarceration. Um, And that is how there's all these studies uh, in the United States, because people thought it was going to be something really progressive, it didn't end up being something really progressive, it typically ends up with, um, you know, people interacting with uh, the, the criminal injustice system, um, at, which becomes a lifetime interaction. Because if you're pleading guilty, when you plead guilty, that has far-reaching impacts on your life and what you are going to be able to do for the rest of your life. And so pleading guilty already has an impact on whether or not you are likely to, to be incarcerated um, again at some point in your life, generally. Secondly, you know, these treatment programs are sometimes just operate as another type of incarceration, depending on, uh, on what it is. But, you know, you're, they're essentially like taking you from society and putting you away in, um, in very restricted circumstances that you have um, a little bit more control than you would in an incarceration setting. However, if you don't control yourself appropriately, if you fuck up, you're going to then be incarcerated. (laughs) So, you know, you become, you become a part of the, the, um, the system uh, through the plea. And then you become a part of like being watched by the system for, for how you're interacting in this conditional sentencing way and then if you do become incarcerated afterwards, um, sometimes there's, depending on how, how it operates, there's harsher penalties because you didn't um, adhere to the, the um, uh, what you should have done, quote unquote, um, uh, that's described in the condition of your sentencing. And so, you know, like we're, this, this may look like a good news story, but it's, it, it is very concerning. And like, we don't know exactly how these things are going to play out in Canada. So, you know, maybe we, we just need to, to, to wait and see, but I think it's very likely that these programs are going to be directly copied from how they operate in the United States because that is kind of how uh, this government tends to operate. So, I, you know, at, at the very least, we need to be vigilant and watching and seeing if this is the way that they're going to implement conditional uh, sentencing in these sorts of um, possession uh, and use of drug cases. Like, to say nothing of how completely fucked up it is to wrap getting help uh, maybe in a treatment center or in rehab with punishment, right? Like, we have a system where this, where the the access to these programs is so already difficult that, like, what the hell kind of path is it to treatment to be pleading guilty to to, to a crime that 
very well maybe directly connected to your addiction, right? Like it's just it's just so backwards and um and as you said, like is just so liberal. Like obviously this came out of a liberal fucking operative's mind. Um now I understand that there's more discretion to given to police um in dealing with uh drug offenses that they come across. And for me, <laughs> it's like I don't know, are police the right people to be, like, using discretion? Like, any system that assumes that the police have discretion seems like setting itself up for police to not exercise discretion very smartly. <laughs> but, I like, to me, Nora, that, that piece is also kind of confusing to me because I don't actually know what that change is. Right. <laughs> Do the police not already uh, employ really intense amounts of discretion with who and how they target and then what they do with those people that they target afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, that yeah. is intense amounts of discretion. And so now they're saying, okay, more discretion for the cops because what you want them to be able to make a, de to a determination as to whether or not they're going to arrest someone who's using drugs. They already do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they already, they already make those determinations. Anyone who has been, on a college or university campus where you've seen drug use and you've seen police around and you see them ignore our students and you know that they're not doing that in, in black and poor communities, like, you know that they use discretion. They already use discretion. So I'm not like, I don't know. Is this just one of those measures in the bill where uh, the government wants to be able to say, hey, we're making your community safer at the same time as they're saying, hey, we're responding to um, the calls from black and indigenous communities. But they're, but they're not responding to our calls. They're not responding to our calls. There's so much that we asked for them to do that they're not doing. You know, um, of course, defunding the, the police uh, being a big piece of that. And, you know, they haven't done anything there. So we should not let them off of the hook with this. They, in fact, increased funding to the police. They're making sure that uh, the RCMP gets um, uh, body cameras, which we which we know can be uh, more dangerous uh, for for uh, in terms of uh, resulting in additional police use of force because police don't see what they're doing as incorrect and think that the camera will exonerate them. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, and, you know, I'm, I'm saying that uh, just based off of some studies that I've read um, that actually prove these things. Right. So the you know, I'm just I'm like really frustrated at the, the way that the government really does play with the lives of black and indigenous people. They think that it's OK to ignore all of the things that we've been saying and and and, you know, put out this does almost nothing kind of bill. I mean, why why don't you eliminate all mandatory mi minimums for use, trafficking, and production of drugs? Like, just get rid of it. Like, just stop. Mm. Um, don't do these half measures. Do what people are asking you to do and focus on measures that will actually support people who need the support. Yeah, the police discretion part makes me wonder if they're just going to be further protecting the kids of cops who are already, like, dealers. <laughs> and so now the police have even <laughs> more discretion to ignore their, their kids dealing. Um, I think that the, the real question, um, aside from the, the questions that have been raised um, around the bill, but the, the, the real question is what will this do in the public discussion around law reform in this country. And there's real danger of the liberals putting forward a piece of legislation that is so 
um, mealy-mouthed, let's say. So there's some good parts, but some bad parts. The reason why that ends up causing a problem is because that gets then put that puts a stake into the ground for where the liberals are on legal reform. And that stake, as you said earlier, Sandy, is like everything to everyone or nothing to nobody. Um, And so where do the other parties situate themselves around this if it's the case that this law, uh, this this suite of reforms will become central to an election um, campaign? And and I, I think like that that's where we really need to to ask ourselves what is the liberal plan here, and then what's the danger of the reaction from the the other parties, because we know that the the liberals are trying to you know walk this um, not center let's say right of center line. Aaron O'Toole will take this as an opportunity to, t- to really stake out a hard right wing response, and because O'Toole's um, plan is going to be more clear. It'll be more brutal, but it'll be more obvious. It'll be easier to explain than having to ask line by line what exactly does this mean, or, or you're going to have to see how it plays out in the courts. Aaron O'Toole will have uh, the rhetorical upper hand because he's just going to say that uh, Trudeau's soft on crime, we're tough on crime, we want to um, you know, become more tough on crime. And that sells among a certain uh, set of the population uh, who you who who haven't necessarily been re- reached by like you know anti-carceral kind of arguments. Not that everyone's mind would change, but I do think actually that there's a lot of minds that that can be changed on these issues. And then the NDP, I mean, there's no way that the NDP is going to do the same thing that the, that the conservatives will do except to the, to the left. They won't stake out a, a, left, a very strong left-wing response and say these, these measures don't go far enough. In fact, what we need is, you know, defunding the police, um, complete overhaul of, 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 of sentencing, that blah, blah, blah. I, I mean, whatever. I'm just kind of, you know, making up possible things that they could be, that they could be calling for. But we know that they won't do that. They might they might kind of quibble around some of the edges of the the liberal legislation, and then that will be it. And so that leaves like all of the folks who understand the problems inherent in these legal reforms to do the heavy lifting as we fight both a mealy mouth liberal party that is doing some good but doing some bad or mostly bad, and a hard right. Um, that just wants to incarcerate fucking everybody. And and I that's actually very concerning to me because the left doesn't have um, the the organizational capacity right now uh, to be able to fight against that 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 far right set of arguments without anyone who's in partisan power to help us out. You know what I mean? Like when the NDP is really weak on this stuff, like it can't just be activists doing the heavy lifting against the conservative party because they're kind of operating in two different arenas. And when there's no left wing like parliamentary expression of what a progressive set of of legislation would look like, then the conservatives have like just open season to control the narrative and make sure that the narrative turns into something that says that the liberals are actually far more progressive in their legal reforms than they actually are. Yeah, so I I have um you know like I mean I ha- I have some stuff up on my computer that might help with this conversation of where the other parties are at um with respect to at least the conservatives and the NDP. Let me see if I can grab the greens as I speak. So um the conservative statement and the way that they're going to try to play this is they're saying um that the conservatives and this is a quote 
are concerned about the government's proposals to broaden conditional sentencing to allow more sentences to be served under house arrest, which is another way that uh, some of these conditional sentences operate, which could put communities at risk. The elimination of mandatory prison time for violent firearms offenses is also concerning and requires a greater degree of scrutiny. So the way that they're playing this is, is super predictable. They're like, oh, my God, you're going to make life way more uh, violent and dangerous for other Canadians. This will not result in that. But that is, of course, how, how they're playing this. The NDP, I don't see an actual response uh, directly from the party in terms of like a press release uh, like the conservatives have put out. But Jagmeet Singh did post about it. And this is what he's posted on Twitter. So for decades, the criminal justice system has taken a harmful approach to drug offenses. It has over-incarcerated Black, Indigenous, and racialized Canadians and criminalized addiction, ripped families apart. Uh, as a defense lawyer, I witnessed simple marijuana possession destroy the futures of so many people. He could have Justin Trudeau could have given them their futures back. All he had to do was erase their criminal records for something that is no longer illegal, and he refused to do that. That's a good uh, statement um, that also should, mm -hmm. you know, sh the, the liberals should receive some heat for, especially given uh, Justin Trudeau's own comments on his own drug use in the past. And, you know, he's been directly challenged on this. Why don't you let people um, expunge people's previous sentences? And, uh, you know, uh, he's not interested in that, apparently. And then Jagmeet goes on to say, we are losing people to the opioid crisis. The current approach has failed. Um Justin Trudeau could have decriminalized drugs and ended the stigma. He refused to. I want young people to have a future. I want black, indigenous, and racialized Canadians to be treated fairly. I want them to feel loved and get the support they need. Justin Trudeau failed us today, but I'll keep fighting for you. So, I mean, pretty good rhetoric, but I just don't know what the policy is that follows from that. Like, where's the, the press release? Like, mm -hmm. what what is it that the, the uh, NDP actually wants to do? We know that they've talked about previously having uh, um, decriminalizing all drugs. And, uh, you know, I'm, they should be talking about that. Like, say that <laughs> right now mm -hmm. um, with yeah. respect to, to, to this coming out. I want to hear that. I also just want to hear what they think about um, this increased uh, discretion with respect to policing and sentencing, because the NDP's uh, official federal policy uh, is in favor of uh, community policing, which is a is a is a kind of in, uh, support for discretionary policing, and uh, that hasn't changed uh, since uh, last summer. It hasn't changed since uh, you know. Activists have been uh, rightfully saying that, that that community policing is is bullshit. And so I want to see the policy. Like, I want to know what you're, you know, beyond just a, uh, a Twitter thread, what the NDP is planning on doing. I haven't looked at the Greens. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that while you respond. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's, it's not just like that there's that you know, like looking for the NDP policy, but they also like Singh doesn't actually respond to any of the changes themselves. Like n n this, this thread is about all the things that Justin Trudeau could have done and didn't do, which I mean, Singh has written this before. He could have written it three days ago. He will likely written, write it again in, you know, two weeks or four months. And, um, and yes, all of those issues are, are important. Um, I don't see what, 
they're like the response to the actual reforms, though, which is the huge problem, because that then there's then there's no left wing analysis from a political party of where the reforms are not sufficient. And so this gets into the House of Commons and they debate the legal reforms. What does the NDP do? Like, do they vote for it? Because at the end of the day, all the things that are missing uh, can't really be added in because we're talking about like reform of specific parts of the criminal code. Or do they have uh, criticisms and it's just been too soon and the NDP just doesn't have their position up? I I, I don't know. I'm, I imagine after this episode, there will be folks that will be quietly in touch with us and be like, oh, no, this is the plan. This is the plan. But, um, you know, it's it's a kind of di- 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 diversion. I, I think that the NDP is very used to to playing with the liberals. And the problem is that the liberals know that the NDP will do that. Like talking about de- de- decriminalization is, is, is good, but it's not a response to why do we still have multiple executives of parole and eligibility or why why uh, why is there a, a, a minimum sentence for for, for, for murder, right? Like there's there's things that, that need to be directly addressed that I'm just not confident we're going to get a full rundown from the NDP on. Yeah. And then, you know, we have the Green Party that is taking a similar attack to the, to the NDP. This, the, the, they've put out an official um, press release. Okay. I register my disbelief today at this government's abdication of duty in the face of the unprecedented opioid overdose crisis ravaging the country, said Green Party leader Annamie Paul. Yesterday's failure to decriminalize the possession of opioids and other illicit drugs and to create a safe supply will cost lives. And so they're they're focusing on, again, what, what hasn't been done. It is really important that folks also focus on what is being done, because there are things, like we said, that are going to be good and that should be talked about. But there are things in here that are going to be bad. That should also be talked about. So don't just avoid um, the conversation. You know, there are are, uh, communities that are desperately looking to to see this conversation be had um, uh, uh, by folks in power on the national scale um, and who have who had started that conversation uh, last summer, you right. know, we did a lot to to put a conversation about um, the way that the criminal justice uh, system interacts with us on a national um, uh, in the national conversation. Actually, have it. Don't avoid it. Actually, have it. People are interested in talking about this. So fuck. Uh, parties on the left. Let's fucking actually talk about it. Don't avoid. Um, uh, you know, uh, talking about what is actually happening. That being said, also do do what you're doing in terms of um, uh, criticizing the government for what they haven't done. Um, but please also criticize the government for what they have done, because um, everything about this is, again, radically mundane. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 look at that timing, not just in relationship to a, a f- an upcoming federal election, but also in relationship to what is happening with the pandemic, and how the liberals have been promising this for a long time, and they, I think, had to put something out, have to put something out before the next election, or else it would be very difficult for them to re- continue to just respond to why they have just not done anything on it. But their inaction on so much of what has caused the the worst aspects of the pandemic, I think we cannot forget that. And just because it took them like 
I don't know how many how many years will be six years since their first time elected to finally get their first draft of what they they think criminal law reform is going to look like doesn't mean that we need to be waiting for a similar period of time to see what the liberals plan is to fix the crisis in long term care or to fix the crisis of unequal access to health care in this country. That is their absolute responsibility under the Canada Health Act. And so um, this is it's not that this is a distraction. It's it's interesting timing. And I hope that our listeners will pay attention to how this issue gets talked about by journalists, uh, by analysts, and how the liberals will use this to try and distract from some of the other places where they're failing. 